0: Um, But as I look at those, I'm reminded, um, as I am in lots of places uh, around the county, that Christmas is upon us. Uh, If you go to Walmart, you will hear them playing Christmas music already. Uh, There are several places in the county where uh, you can see Christmas decorations up and lights on houses. If you have an elementary or a preschool student, which most of you have, you may have heard them humming or singing songs to the Christmas musical they will put on the Sunday before Christmas. And so whether we like it or not, we sort of can't escape the fact that Christmas is upon us. Bill um, is already riding the train. Um, you can uh, go see Santa Claus in, in Bryson City if you'd like. Um, or you can just turn around and, and look <laughs> in the back if you'd like as well. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I love Christmas. I love the, the extreme foolishness of the holiday. That we celebrate that, that this God chose to submit Himself to human limitations as He came to earth. And not just for the sake of doing that. He did that for us who, before that, ignored Him and scorned Him. As we read, read in Romans, um, despite the fact that His power and his, his presence was evident in all that we see, we chose to, to turn our back and, and not honor Him as God. And yet He still came and submitted Himself to human limitations. Because that whole idea is not only crazy, but extremely attractive. But in America at least, there's there's this other holiday that we celebrate between now and Christmas. And we've sort of, at least in this country, sort of lumped kind of Thanksgiving and Christmas together and we've just called it the holiday season and and Thanksgiving is sort of kind of the jumping off point for food and football and shopping. And we sort of just it's the holiday season, but what I really want us to do this week and next week is, is not forget that, that we have an opportunity to be reminded through the holiday of Thanksgiving that it really is a, an important part of, of who we are as believers. That passage I read earlier, uh, Paul in Romans 1, what he does is he paints a picture of, of humanity continuing to spiral down. And that spiraling down began with the fact that even though God was evident, He said they did not give thanks. And what happens necessarily when we choose purposefully to not give thanks to God, and it is a purposeful choice, what happens necessarily is we will replace that, if I may paraphrase Paul, is this this foolish self-exaltation. So they professed to be be wise. They elevated themselves and their own opinions, their own desires above what God wanted. And it all really began with they, they chose to not honor God or to give thanks. And they continued to spiral down. And it said that He gave them over to this and they continued to spiral down. And He begins that passage with the wrath of God was on the world. That's our choice. That's where we end up when we refuse to give thanks to God. And so as believers, I think it's important, necessary for us to be reminded that we really don't want to look like the world. We'd like to be able to be distinguished from the world in the fact that we really do give thanks and not just this general oh i'm thankful for but we give thanks to god for everything and so what i want to do this week and next week is paul uses this phrase thanks be to god six times shows up in his letter to the romans and also in the two letters he wrote to the corinthians just a simple phrase thanks be to god And so I want to look at three this week and three next week and see what exactly He's giving thanks to God for. And may that be a reminder to us and help us as we are about to enter this holiday season where we are extremely tempted to delight in the selfish and to delight in the material and to delight in lots of things besides God. So, may our time this morning be helpful in that. And our time next week as we focus on giving thanks to God for what He's done for us. We begin this morning in in Romans chapter 6 in verses 17 and 18, and Paul writes these words But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd use the words that you have given us in your word in the scriptures to encourage our hearts, but also, God, to challenge us. Through your spirit, we ask that you would change us, that we may be more like you, but also that we would be thankful for what you've done, and that the world would see, God, that we don't depend upon ourselves. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. But thanks be to God. What is he thankful for? Well, the first thing that he's thankful for is that the past is the past. The first thing that Paul is thankful for is the past is the past. Uh, your version may say that though you were slaves of sin, that word though is not in original text. It just says... Thanks be to God that you were slaves to sin. Well, that may seem a little odd that Paul is, is thankful that they were enslaved to sin, but it's in the emphasis. See, normally verbs in Greek don't come first, but you can rearrange language however you want to. In Greek, it doesn't matter. And Paul puts that verb first. Thanks be to God were. And he wants us to, he wants to emphasize the past tense of that verb. He's thankful that they were slaves to God. That they're not anymore. He gives thanks that that their situation has changed. But what's interesting is, it's changed from slavery in one context to a willful slavery in another context. He says, I'm thankful that you were slaves to God and now you have become, you've chosen to become obedient to that form of teaching to which you were, the NASB says, committed or were given over to. The understood subject is God. You were given over to by God. And then he says, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The truth is, as Bob Dylan so adequately expressed is you're going to serve somebody you are going to be enslaved to something or someone no matter your station in life your age your occupation who you think you are or who anybody else thinks you are it's a great song you really ought to go and look up the lyrics and read through it it's very true and he covers all the bases you will serve somebody The question is, whom? And he even puts, it may be the devil and it may be the Lord. He knows the distinction. He's well aware of the truth. We will serve somebody. And Paul is thankful that these people have gone from serving sin to serving righteousness, to choosing to become obedient to the truth that God has given them. And so, a couple of applications. Number one, if your faith is in Christ, do you realize, do you know that you really are no longer a slave to sin? That that actually is in the past? Which leads to the second thing, is is when you're walking through life and and you, you overcome sin, what is your response? You pat yourself on the back and say, good job, you know, today that anger, or that lust, or that selfishness, or that gossip, or that greed didn't get me. I'm doing better. Or is your natural response, God, thank you for the power of your Spirit that lives in me, that allowed me to say no today. It should be in the back of our minds. That there is this struggle, that sin is ever-present, but we're not enslaved to it, and when we overcome it, Our response should be thanksgiving to God who allows us to do that. Number one, by by changing us, by redeeming us, by removing us from that enslavement, but also by then empowering us through His Spirit to be able to say no. Second, Paul is, is thanking God in this sense, not for himself that he's doing that, but he's, he's thanking God for the Roman church who's doing that. So the second thing we should be thankful for, when you look around and you see your brothers and sisters in Christ choosing to walk in obedience even when it's difficult, will you thank God for that? And then maybe that would remind us and encourage us, as Dottie did, that, that we should pray for one another because life is hard. Because it is easy to show up here on a Sunday morning and smile and everything's fine. Are we praying for one another? That we would daily fight that battle to overcome sin. That we would daily fight that battle to overcome sin. And then if that's something that's worthy of thanks, I mean, if that really is something that Paul is is thankful to God for that they've been able to, that they've chosen to become obedient to that form of teaching to which they were entrusted to. Is that something that we're striving to do in our own life? Are we seeking to, to recognize I am dead to sin, I am alive to righteousness. So what is my goal today? And do we begin the day, God? If it's if it's not for you, I'm going to stumble we begin the day committing the day and asking for His power and His presence and His peace to overcome sin? Is that something that we are striving to do? To be obedient? To actually look like that we really are slaves to righteousness and not like the rest of the world that is slaves to sin? Can, can the outside world look at us and tell the difference in who our Master is? And then finally, are we thankful to God that we actually have the power to obey. It's actually true for us. We have the power through His Spirit to say yes to righteousness, to say no to sin. So, the first thing, if you remember something, remember, I need to be thankful that the past is the past. Are we thankful to God that the past is? is the past turn over it may be on the same page in your bible Mind, it's the next but chapter seven through most of seven what paul's doing he's painting a picture of of the christian who for some reason has allowed the flesh to override the spirit and he says i i don't do the things i want to do and i do the things i don't want to do there's this battle there's this struggle We have been released from sin and yet for some, if I may say stupid reason, we choose to go back and walk into that cage and just kind of shut the door. Why do we do that? Well, it's because we've we've allowed, as Paul talks about, the flesh to reign and we've allowed it to suppress the spirit. And when we do that and, and Paul recognizes that he's in that position... And he says, beginning in verse 24, Wretched man that I am. He recognizes that that living that way is is not only foolish, but it's it's wretched. Why do I do that? You may have asked yourself that question before. In the midst of sin or after sin, why did I do that? That's a good reason. Paul explains why we do that is because we've allowed the flesh, we've listened to that, we've taken our eyes off God. We've chosen to walk back into the jail and open the door and walk in and close it. So this is comfortable. The problem is sometimes sin is comfortable. Sometimes that's what we know. That's what we're used to. And so we think this is this is better than the hard part of walking by faith. And then he asks the question, who will set me free from the body of this death? He's well aware that he is still living in a body that is mortal, that is susceptible to sin, that is susceptible to the sin of others. He says, who will set me free from this? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so again we ask, what's he thankful for? And he says in the second half of 25, So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. We think, well, he wouldn't be thankful for that, would he? I mean, is he thankful that he's sort of living this hypocritical life? <laughs> that he goes about wrestling with, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm serving God and, and then I'm serving sin. And then, Is that what he's thankful for? No, I think what he's thankful for is actually the next verse, the beginning in 8, that despite that, despite that he sometimes willfully chooses to walk into the cell and close the door and say, I'm more comfortable in sin than I am in righteousness. Despite that, he says at the beginning of chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, in 6, he was thankful for the fact that the past was the past. And now what he's thankful for is present mercies. Because we read in chapter 1, remember, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. And when we walk back into that cell, we're exhibiting unrighteousness. And really, what we should expect is wrath. And yet, because of what Christ has done, thanks be to God... Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done when I do something foolish when I make that stupid mistake of listening to the flesh over the spirit I don't get wrath because he gave that to his son on the cross what I get is a very present mercy I don't get what I deserve what he's not saying and what he fleshes out in other places He's not saying there aren't consequences for those sins. There are natural consequences. We do reap what we sow, but the wrath of God is not one of those for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is thankful for present mercies. Are we thankful for present mercies? I don't know many people who don't, at some point in time during the week, choose to walk back into that cell. To allow the flesh to kind of bubble up and override the Spirit and say, I'm going to do what I want to do right now instead of what you want to do, God. We all are in need of His mercy. Are we thankful to God that He supplies that, that He supplied that in the cross of Christ? And then will you allow that The fact that today and tomorrow there is a present mercy. Will you allow that truth to draw you into that loving relationship with the Father? Will you allow that to motivate you to... You know what? He continues to pour out mercy to me. He continues to pour out mercy to me. Will you respond in love? Will you respond by beginning the day, God, today the flesh is going to war against the Spirit. Would you help me through your Spirit... Overcome my flesh. Are we thankful to God that the past is the past? Are we thankful to God that there are present mercies? Would you turn over to the end of of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, towards the end of that long chapter, where Paul is talking about the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection, the fact that, that it's necessary And then he says, beginning in verse 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's think care about what he's saying here. He says, when, and then he says, then. There's this thing that, that hasn't happened yet, and when that thing happens, then something else is going to happen. So what hasn't happened yet? Well, what hasn't happened is that, that perishable has been swallowed, that put on the imperishable mortality is put on immortality. What hasn't happened yet is that you and I are still here. The Corinthians at that time were still there. Paul was still there. What hasn't happened yet is you have not been changed from your weakened state to this glorified state when we die for those of us who are in Christ. That hasn't happened yet. You're still mortal. You're still perishable. At some point in time, You'll breathe your last breath and your perishable will put on imperishable and your mortality will put on immortality. That hasn't happened yet. But when it does, then the saying will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so if we think about that, what we have to realize is, oh, while I'm here... Death is still very active. Death is still seemingly winning. The sting of death still hurts. It's still present. It hasn't gone away. And he says the sting of death is sin. Right? You and I, while we are here, while we are breathing air, we are susceptible to sin. Even though... Remember Paul said, you have the ability to overcome that. We often don't. And even if we've managed to go, you know, a good bit of time overcoming it, the people around us won't, and we're affected by that. And we're affected by death. It hurts us. It grieves us. And not just when someone we love physically dies, but when relationships die. When things we care about are are ripped from us when my ability to conquer righteousness dies because I succumb to temptation and trust in the flesh instead of the Spirit. You and I, while we walk this earth, it doesn't seem like death has been defeated. It seems like sin is winning. It seems like death is winning. in the midst of that, in the midst of that reality of what Paul is really saying, this hasn't happened yet. In the midst of that, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, Paul, I thought you just said that death, until I put on this immortality, until I put on this imperishable, I thought you, you said that that death hasn't been defeated. And so while Paul talks about the past is the past and we have present mercies, he wants us to understand that that victory is certain in the future. You say, well, it doesn't do me a lot of good now. (laughs) But it should. It should bring us great hope and great comfort. As we look to that day when death really will be swallowed up. When the sting of death has been removed. A day when, when sin no longer has any effect whatsoever on us. And he's thankful to God for that future promise because of what Christ did in the past. Because we look at that and we go, ah, there's someone who defeated death. There is someone who conquered sin. And we know that because he was raised from the dead, what Paul's been talking about for the last 50 verses. That the resurrection has happened, and that is comfort to us. Are you thankful to God for the future victory? That that the fourth quarter is over, the clock says zero, zero, and we win. Right? We can look into the future and see that that's the way it comes out, and yet in the midst of this, it sort of seems like a battle. It sort of seems like back and forth. Sometimes I think I'm winning, and sometimes I know that I'm losing, and yet the, the final result has happened. And so as we think about that, are we thankful for a future victory, but... But also notice what he says in verse 58. Therefore, because God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Because the result is sure, are you persevering? Even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Even when you don't want to. Even when you know you can't anymore. He says, be steadfast. Are you persevering? Be immovable. In other words, don't compromise. I know there's this temptation and you think it'll be easier if you walk back in where it's comfortable and you compromise and you you stand back in the cell and He says, don't do that. Don't compromise. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are are you asking, daily, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me today? What can I do today to do your work? How can I be obedient today? The last phrase, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. We we recognize the goal that even if it seems like what I'm doing is is a waste of time or it's not having any effect, or I I don't understand, He says, know that your toil is not in vain. When we walk by faith, when we walk by faith, whether the world recognizes it or not, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit next week as well, of what our, what our faith looks like to believers and non-believers. When we walk by faith, our toil is not in vain. We are a preview to the world of a coming attraction. Right? You go to the movie, they show the preview, and you go, oh, I want to see that, or oh, I don't want to see that. Right? They want you to spend more money, buy another ticket. Is your life a positive preview of what's coming? When the world sees us, and they may not like it. They may not, Some people don't really want the God that we serve, and that's okay. Maybe a better word is, is your life an accurate preview of a coming attraction? And that's our challenge. But I don't think that challenge happens if we forget the fact that we are to be thankful to God for what He's done. That the past is past. You have been removed from being a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. That we get to experience present mercies despite the fact when we choose to walk in sin, we are not under the wrath of God anymore. We get to, to revel in present mercies. And we know the outcome. Are you thankful to God that the victory in the future is secure? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your blessings. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your present mercy. Thank You that You have taken us from who we were and made us who we are. God, I ask that You would continue to remind us of that. God, I thank You that You have shown us in Your Word glimpses of the future and the final victory. God, use us as Your people, individually and as this body of believers that are gathered here. Use us to be a preview of what's to come for those around us. In big ways and small ways. And we pray for um, the small ways that these boxes up on the stage might be used in someone's life, the notes that are in them, the items that are in them. God, we ask specifically that you would use each of those boxes as they get delivered to an, an individual that you have created. That you would use them for your glory. That they might, in, in some small way, uh, be useful to your spirit. And that you would take them from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. That your church would grow would expand. God, we are thankful to You for who You are, Your character, Your majesty, Your wonder, Your holiness, Your justice, Your goodness, Your love. God, we ask that You would use us this this week as we go into the world to be lights. We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.